good morning to you all. Thank you, one and all, for this wonderful opportunity to share with you. Uh, Helen and I are really great, glad to be here. Uh, we did come here for a little brief period of time when we first moved to this part of the world back in about uh, 2004 or something. It was a long time ago. I was here a little bit then. Uh, we now uh, worship at Parkland Christian Chapel and we fellowship there, but uh, it's great to be able to share with you, particularly as we come up to Anzac Day. Uh, before I start, um, just a couple of things I'd like to say. Uh, first of all, shout out to uh, Defence Chaplains. Um, the chaplains have been a blessing to me over the many years. I've only had one or two that have been a little bit funny with me. The rest of them have been really great. Uh, we've got uh, Bob Bishop and uh, Richard Werrett here today, so great to see you guys again. I've served with both Bob and Richard uh, on base together. It's been really great. It's just so wonderful to have someone there who you know you can call on. I've uh, often seen the chaplains for both personal reasons and professional reasons, and they've always been supportive. And so that's really great. Uh, great to see Jeff Morris again. So Jeff used to serve with us in every man's administration many years back, back up in the Brisbane days. So great to see Jeff and Linnell. And uh, I just wanted to make you guys aware of that because, you know, these are people who have helped us to pray for us, continue to help us and pray for us. And so uh, let's be rejoicing in that. As we come up to uh, Anzac Day this year, I'm thinking of the world we're living in and uh, all this talk of a possible conflict with China and all that sort of thing. It's a real wake-up call for me, I don't know about you, but it's certainly saying to us that if uh, obviously a horrible thing like that would ever happen, it's a call to God's people to stand up and be ready for those times. I had a mum and dad who served in World War II and they often told me stories of what life was like uh, on the, for my father serving in a war zone and also for my mum as she lived during those times and the deprivations and the things that, that took place there we wouldn't even think of today. And to think that we might have to face that again is very sobering. So may we all together as a body of Christ, as God's people, be praying as to how God would use us and he might prepare us to serve our ADF people in, in that time because God forbid something like that did, did happen, uh, there will be many people, of course, in the ADF. It's a sobering time, but also we know that God is great and he's powerful and he'll work through us if only we allow him to do so. Let me just open in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity, particularly this time of year, as we think of the sacrifices that have taken place in different parts of the world by our men and women in uniform. It's great to be able to come, Lord, and just reflect also on the ultimate healer, though the one who loved us more than we could ever love anyone, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ, and what he means to us. And Lord, it's more than that. It's the fact, Lord, as well, it's the fact that you have called us, called us to a mission called us to speak the gospel. And Lord, there are many ways in which we can do that. And we know you've called each and every one of us. So this morning, Lord, as we look at the word, we pray your Holy Spirit will guide us. Help us to understand how we can see better your mission for each and every one of us, wherever it may be. Not only in every man's Lord, but wherever we may be going, whatever we may be doing. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'd like to share some scripture with you. The words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 28 to 29 go like this. We announce the message about Christ and we use all our wisdom to warn and teach everyone so that all of Christ's followers will grow and become mature. This is why I work so hard and use the mighty power he gives me. Now those last two verses of Colossians 1, 28 and 29 have been the motto of every man's since the beginning of our ministry in 1940. That's how long we've been around for. In the King James Version, verse 28 goes like this. 
It says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So none of us has to be an Einstein to work out how we arrived at our name. Of course, from the beginning, World War II, we had the every man's and every woman's huts. And these remain today as our wreck huts, which you just saw there. Now, for me, a deep realisation of those two versions in Colossians 1 became an end point for me in my life's, one of my more memorable life's journeys, you might say. And why do I say that? For many years as a Christian, I don't really believe I understood evangelism really was. I had an idea, but I didn't really understand exactly what it meant for me to go out and share the gospel. That sounds pretty strange for someone who at that point had been in the church for quite a while because I was only saved when I was a boy. And you know, I was scared of any thought of being an evangelist. Being an evangelist had all sorts of images in my mind that really didn't float my boat, if you know what I mean. Really wasn't the sort of thing that I thought I'd be doing. Now, many years back, right back between 1996 and 1998, and I can say that now, doesn't the years, don't the years get by, but back in 96, between 96 and 98, I actually did a course at a Bible college. Though I didn't know what God was going to call me to when I first started college, I really hoped it wasn't going to be any kind of evangelistic ministry. Why was that, you ask me? Well, let's turn back the clock to 1978. You can probably work out I was pretty young then. In fact, I was a high school cadet then, and they decided to send me and these other boys on this sergeant's course at an army base nearby. Now, the army cooks in that mess we were going to heard we were coming. And rubbing their hands together, I'm sure, decided they'd have a little bit of fun with us. We were a bunch of really naive, wide-eyed teenage boys, as you can imagine. And so, how did that exemplify itself? When we got there and we uh, sat down and we went lined up to have breakfast and that sort of thing, we'd be picking out our food and they'd just yell at us for taking a little extra piece of bacon at breakfast. There was supposed to be this nebulous, undeclared amount of bacon you were supposed to take. We never knew what it was. We took one little bit, bit more, they'd be yelling at us, so we were all cringing and all that sort of thing. And then, if that wasn't enough, uh, just about every time I went in for, whether it be breakfast, lunch or dinner, they'd come over with heaps of Playboys and Hustler magazines. And they'd say, oh, have a look at this, you know, so they were putting all this stuff in front of us as well. And they even came up to uh, some of us young boys and offered us 50 bucks a piece for any, girl, for any girl, for anyone who could afford it. And we were shocked. If you were stupid enough, of course, to give them the $50, you'd neither see the money again or the girl. <laughs> but that was the situation. And of course, I was very young, I was very naive, a very sensitive 14-year-old kid, and I was horrified. I was tricked. I thought, my goodness, what, what, what is this? I kept on thinking at the time, as a new Christian, as I was then, that I would never be able to share the, uh, the gospel with these army grillers. I mean, they're terrible. They'll just tear me to pieces. Yeah, and I thought, oh, they're just far, too far gone. And uh, as silly as that sounds, that's the perception I had in my mind. Now, fast forward to 1983. I remember my church youth group days then up in Toowoomba. We had an evangelist come to our church, and he was a good evangelist. Don't get me wrong, he was fantastic. He'd grown a church in Western Australia from just from a Bible study to a very large church and all this sort of thing, and he was a good speaker. But one night, he really forced all of us young people to go out into the streets on Saturday night with gospel tracts. And I remember he forced us, and I even think to this day, that was probably a little bit 
bit too much. But he thought we were only probably, by then I was probably about 18 or 19 or so, that sort of thing. Of course, off we went into the streets with these gospel tracks. And, you know, the tough guys in towns, just, they just snatched the tracks out of our hands and they tore them up and they threw them into the gutter. Then one or two said, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind having one of those tracks, so can you give me one? And I thought, oh, yeah, this is really great. You know, so I gave them the tracks. Then they picked up the track and they made it into this little paper jet and they threw that into the gutter. So I said, okay, Lord, I get it. All right, I get it. Uh, evangelism's not my calling, right? I'm not meant to be an evangelist. Okay, that's okay. You don't feel bad about it. I'm just, evangelism's out there for somebody else, not for me, because, you know, I find all that sort of thing really upsetting. So I, uh, you know, I can't do that. So that's the attitude I was left with at that point. So it was the opposite of what the evangelist wanted in one sense that came to speak at our church. Now, it's interesting to reflect on that. Is what I experienced then and what I saw then a full expression of evangelism? I thought it was. And that made me too scared to even try for many years ahead. You know, I wished I could be like some friends I knew. They'd go and knock on the door with tracts and with a Bible or something and go door to door and they'd get screamed at and they'd get abused and the door slammed in their face and they'd have a big smile on their face and they'd go next door and do it all again. And I just wasn't one of those sort of people. I thought, someone abuses me and tells me not to do something, I tend to think, oh, well, well, I better not do it then. And so I wished I could be like these people. I thought, no, that's not me. That's, that's not anything I could do. So, as I said, I was too scared for many years to do a lot of things. Now, let's fast forward again to 1997. This was my second year at Bible college. And one day, these two adorable little grannies turned up at the college, dressed in knit cardigans and all that sort of stuff. I thought, oh, that's nice. They're obviously here to pray for the students. And I thought, oh, I guess they'll probably come here to, to give uh, some bickies to our students for morning tea or something. You know, that's what they're here for. As it turns out, they were Christian psychologists. And that, uh, you know, the, 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 the job sort of didn't fit the vision, but they were, turned out to be very gifted ladies, these two. And all lectures that day were suspended upon their arrival. They were actually running a psych personality test for all of our students. Now, this test was very comprehensive, including small groups, training. We had corporate seminars together and sharing times. And it was all to assess our potential personality types, which therefore would possibly fit us to some kind of ministry. So that's what, what they were there to assess to do. Finally, we had to fill out this big, long questionnaire, which I filled out and it was sort of uh, almost everything, you know, except what you had for breakfast that morning. There's quite a lot of things to fill out there. Now, at last, I was called in by these little old ladies and they said to me, Ken, we've looked at your, uh, your resume there and your answers and you are definitely fitted for evangelistic ministry. <laughs> and I thought, I thought to myself, is there a time when God just has a little bit of a joke with us? Maybe he's just having a bit of a lend to me. Maybe he's just got, God's got this sense of humour these days. You know, oh, you can't, ha, ha, you're going to be evangelist, you know. Till I discovered that God doesn't joke about his calling to ministry upon people. And so, not only that, but probably about two weeks after that, this bloke in an army uniform turned up at college. Now, at college, we had this thing called Ministry Awareness Program, the MAP. And all of us students had to, it was compulsory, had to attend the MAP session every Wednesday. I remember quite distinctly, it was a Wednesday afternoon, and this guy in the army uniform came and spoke about every man's welfare service. A ministry to none other than the guerrillas, I thought that the army guys were. 
Now, I've got to share a little bit of something here. I, I'm not sort of proud to share this, but at college, with those MAP sessions, week after week after week after week, I heard about a lot of really great ministries. There's a lot of really great things happening around the world. And I, I, I just, I'd say, oh, look, that's fantastic. Honestly, and it was. But you know what? I didn't feel any excitement about even one of them, I could think. There was ministries in the Middle East, there's ministries in New Guinea, there's ministries in South America, there's ministries here in Australia. There was one, there was a church planning ministry I thought I might do, but realised that wasn't for me. And all these ministries, I, I'd, I hadn't really thought, oh, that's, that's, this is not, not for me. And I said, well, that's, that's the, because the Lord hasn't called you to that, that's okay. And as I was listening to the everyman speak, I think, well, you know, it's going to be the same old thing, right? It's going to be that I'm not called to this because I'm not an evangelist, am I? Because he started talking about evangelism. I thought, oh, you know, as soon as he said that word, I backed off a little bit. During his talk, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it may as well have been. And God tapped me on the shoulder and guess what he said? This one's for you, son. It was undeniable. I couldn't deny it. And I must admit, it did sort of actually, for the first time, despite my fear of evangelism, it did float my boat a little bit. I just think, oh, I thought, this sounds all right. But I thought, no, I can't do it. But I didn't have a say in the matter. God calls us, God calls us, that's it. That was the one I was going to. So I thought, here I am going into an unpaid faith ministry. I remember one time I did see an every man's track earlier in my college time and I picked it up and it said, it's a faith mission. I put it straight down and said, oh, I can't do that. I can't go out and ask for money to, to do ministry. That's impossible. So I left it there. And then as the months went by, and I was going to throw it out. I remember thinking when I was clearing out my desk one day to do some assignments, I'll throw this every man's track out because oh, it's not for me. You know? And you know, have you ever had those moments when you're about to go like that and you think, hmm... Oh, I don't know, I'll just leave it there. So I chucked it back on the desk. And when I got back after the every man had come, that track, that, that, uh, track was still there. So I had to accept that God was calling me to this. So here I was going into an unpaid faith ministry to do the dreaded evangelisms to the very gorillas I thought for sure would just chew me up and spit me out the moment I tried to share the gospel with them. Such was the very false perception I'd harboured since I was a kid of 14. It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes you have a, an experience when you're a young teenager and as illogical as that is, you tend to still harbour those feelings even up into adulthood. Now, I, I found I'd done that. It was very strange. Not only that, at the end of my college time, one of my favourite lecturers, who I really did admire, tried to talk me out of going into every man's. That made me shaky in my decisions even still. So it was a difficult time. And I, to this day, I don't know why that lecturer did that. But, you know, because otherwise he was a very strong evangelical faithful man and he tried to talk me out of going into every means. But that was one of the reasons I knew I had the call to it because God said, it doesn't matter what he says, if I have called you, I have called you. And it's the same for all of us. God calls us, he calls us. We can do nothing but be obedient. So it is good for every Christian to ask the question, do I fear evangelism? But maybe you fear it simply because you think evangelism can only be this or that, or only because it can be done a certain way. But God uses many of us in many different ways to evangelise. It's something I've learned over the years. Now, despite everything, at last I began my Everyman's ministry back in January 1999. And I remember going to the chaplains who were there at the time at Kapuka. I was up at Kapuka at the time, and I said, oh, look, I'm brand new. And like David, I hadn't come from a military background. I was totally green. 
You'd ask someone what job they did and they'd go away and you're twice as confused about what, what it was they did when they left, when you, before you asked them. And you think, oh, I don't know. And then uh, my first morning I turned up at the wrong place for the brew run and I wondered where they all were and uh, I thought, oh, maybe they cancelled it. And of course I went down the road about 10 minutes later and one of the majors said, oh, we missed you this morning. So I felt about this big. I thought, this is crazy. I'm just not getting this right. But anyway, I think back to those days, those very first days, and here I am standing beside my brew truck, all the soldiers lining up. Chaplains had given me the good oil on where to go and what to do, but you see, the chaplains at Kapuka or anywhere for that matter, but the chaplains particularly at Kapuka are just so busy. They've got, got a few of them there, but they've got heaps of recruits. So the chaplains were doing their ministry, I was doing mine. And by the way, the ministries are, there is some overlap, but the ministry of every man's ministry of chaplains, there is quite a difference between the two. So at the end of the day, little Ken Matthews here, the everyman, still had to get out and do his thing. I couldn't rely on anyone else. I was the only person there who did that job. So I had to get out and do my thing. So here I was, beside my truck, with all these soldiers lining up. I had much fear about how I was actually supposed to do all this. It's like, what do I do now? Here I am, I'm in the gear, I've got my hat on, I'm out in the bush, now, now what? They're all lining up, I give them, how do I do it? And a lot of silly thoughts went through my head. I didn't even have any Bibles or tracks on my truck in those days. And I said to myself, how can I force tracks into their hands anyway? Not to mention, how could I ever muster the, the eloquence I'll need to con convict them or convince them to become Christians? And so one day in despair, I said to God, I don't know what on earth you were thinking you sent me here. I'm not only a useless evangelist, but I haven't even been in the army before. I haven't got any idea what it's really like for them. And so it's interesting when they have those times in your life when you're frustrated, because sometimes God seems to speak a little more louder to you. But it's not always what you want to hear. And God did speak to me. And the, I remember these four points. I've written them down here for you. It's like the Lord said back to me after I said that. One, did I tell you to force tracks into their hands, did I? Well, no. Two, did I choose you to come here because the Lord of hosts, the one who created the universe, needs someone with years of experience in the army to evangelise the army? Uh, no. Then he said, am I not able to empower whomever I choose, irrespective of their background? Uh, you're able to empower whoever you choose, Lord, that's right. And finally, and this is the one that really knocked me over, did I call you so you could tell the world of all the converts you have made? And I thought about that. I thought, there's a little bit of pride coming in. I was worried about my reputation because I go back to church and people say, how many people came to the Lord this week? Which would be a silly question, particularly for our sort of ministry. Oh, none. Oh, well, you know, I'm not very good, am I? I'm should, shouldn't, I be, shouldn't the Holy Spirit be empowering me to lead, you know, 12 people to the Lord a year or something like that? And I realise now that's a silly way to think, but that's what I was thinking. And finally the Lord said to me, do you think an evangelist to the army, carrying army Bibles in his truck, might be a good idea? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, so often we fret about things and we worry about things and yet we're not doing the most basic thing. And I discovered that. I didn't even have anything in my truck for them. Just cookies and bickies and that sort of stuff and what was I hoping to achieve that they'd see some wonderful example of the Holy Spirit in my life and that that would change them so I rang the Bible Society and to start with they were a bit cagey about giving me Bibles now the Bible Society is wonderful 
They give us Bibles all the time. We make a donation for them and we stack our trucks with these Bibles. I love these little army Bibles. We also have got tracts, good evangelical tracts. And so I started to put just a few things, few Bibles in my truck. I got some off the chaplains who were helping me there as well at Kapuka. And uh, guess what? I found that a lot of those Bibles were going very quickly. They were coming up to the truck and they were saying, oh, are these uh, free, are they, sir? Oh, yeah, sure, take them. Or someone say, oh, how much do you want for them? I say, they're, they're for you. Oh, okay. And so then I'd turn around and six more would be gone because they're going to say to their mates, hey, do you know those Barmy Bibles on the truck there are free? You can go and take them off the every man. So how wonderful. I wasn't saying a word, but I was starting the evangelical process. And I discovered the gorillas weren't gorillas at all. Oh, yes, they've got heaps of bravado on the outside. I'm sure the chaplains will tell you this, this same story. But so many of them, so many of them, were just fearful, sad and uncertain people, clutching at straws, hoping to find something akin to true happiness in their lives. I guess that's everybody, isn't it? They were no different. I knew then, as I know to this day, the ultimate answer to all this was simply for them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I found because they knew I was the everyman, so when I came onto the base, of course, I've got the badge on me, oh, you're the everyman. Because, just simply because I was the everyman, not because of anything I'd done or anything, any, any background I had or anything like that, simply because they were, I was the everyman. They're only too willing on occasion to bear their souls with me out of the blue without warning. And that was no pat in the back for me. What that was, a, if anything, that was a, a big shout out to all those men and women that had gone before us in every man. So all those every men and every women from 1940 on who'd been so faithful that the, the ADF understood that this is a person you can come and have a chat to. And so it was to them, I owe my thanks, my forebears, people who'd gone before me. It, I was just, just the conduit. I was just there at the time and had the joy and the privilege of being able to, sh- being able to share with them. And you know what? I never to this day had to force tracts or Bibles into anyone's hands. In all these years since 1999. After a spiritual conversation, that's what we try to do. I mean, for the most part, the first time you meet a soldier or someone out in the field, you don't say to them, oh, do you know Jesus? There has been occasions when I've had to do that, but only at the Holy Spirit's prompting. And even then, the conversation flowed well. So there are times when God will say to you, let loose, just tell them. But... 99% 99% of the time, that's not the case. And so we'd come up, we'd talk about all sorts of things. Oh, where'd you go to school? Where are you from? What are your hobbies? You know, all that sort of thing, you know. And, you know, it's amazing how many times, because they can see the Bibles on the truck, because they know the everyman's are like a religious dude of some kind, that they would say, oh, oh you're having a bit of a bad day today. And the chaplains, again, the chaplains would be able to, to refer to that. There's a little bit of overlap with chaplains and us and what we do. And so we have these spiritual conversations just come out of the blue. They were never forced. They were never something that, that we may, had to make happen. So after a spiritual conversation and relying on the leading of the Holy Spirit, I would offer a Bible. And guess what? They would willingly take it without apprehension. In fact, some of them were really, really thankful. And there were situations like that time and again. Some would just come up and ask for the Bibles out of the blue, as I said. 
I've often said in the middle of a conversation, again relying on leading the Spirit, because every time I go out, I know I don't know the hearts of those people out there. I don't know where they're at, but God does. Your great God and King who's leading you and guiding you, He knows the hearts of each and every, each and every one of those people coming up to that brew truck. And He knows the ones He wants you to talk to. So just open your heart and rely on Him. So in the middle of a conversation, again after relying on the leading of the Holy Spirit, I would say things, can I pray for you? That's all it is. Not a great theological treatise or anything, I just thought, can I pray for you? Or I will pray for you. And it's interesting the reactions you get, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and uh, oftentimes, and I've said, well, in fact, every time I've said, can I pray for you? Usually in a private setting, I don't do that when their mates are all looking and watching. They'll say, oh, okay, very apprehensively. And you know, the time when you finish the prayer and you look up and see the tears in their eyes, you know that God uses even someone like me to touch their hearts. And he'll do the same for you too. You just open your heart to be led by him. Have you ever thought about putting some good Christian tracts in your handbag, or your wallet, then just accidentally dropping them in places? Places like doctor surgeries, the gym, on the bench at the bus or railway station. You're not saying a word, but you're getting the word out. Now, back at Everyman's, I knew the time would come when I'd have to say something about my faith. Now, I know there's a truth in the saying that our life is our witness. I'm not saying that's completely wrong. There is a truth of that, of course. But in all honesty, I cannot say my life is always a witness. I don't know about you, but I have bad days. Days I'm not feeling too good about whatever it is. Days when my patience is, is short. In fact, on the days when my life is clearly not a witness, what then? All of us will always have those days in this life. At the end, we must be able to share the gospel from the Bible. Because just our testimony as profoundly true to us as that may well be, and as profoundly true generally as it may well be, will not be enough alone for a person to make a decision for Christ. We are indeed a new creation. The Apostle Paul tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. But you and I, we are still sinners. And we want the unbelievers coming to Christ, not to us. It wasn't until many years after college that the folks in Fusion in Tasmania showed me a thing called the Romans Road. Now, I know many of you here would be familiar with the Romans Road, and I know it's been around forever and ever and ever, but I didn't hear about it until I was almost 40 years of age. I used to think, even as a college graduate, you know, how will I get these deep theological concepts across to the totally unchurched? But as always, I was just complicating was really a simple straightforward message here are those four simple verses for you of the romans road romans 3 23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord romans 5 8 but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we are still sinners christ died for us and finally, the crescendo, the last one is Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just four verses. 
You've, you've all heard those verses before, probably. You can even write these verses in the front of your Bible so you don't have to remember them. But with these four verses alone, you can lead someone to faith with the Bible. Now, I know many of our reps, with our reps, we don't force any method of them sharing the gospel on them at all. Some of our reps will use a phone app and they'll go through that with someone. I don't like technology much, so I just like using the Bible. We don't ask our reps, we don't say to them, you've got to do it this way. Because I've come to learn, as I've been sharing with you this morning, that we're all individuals and God has a way for me and he has a way for you to share the gospel the way he's called you to do it. And there will always be times of trepidation, always be times of a little bit of fear involved. But if you just let go and let God use you and your circumstance, you'll be surprised how easy, if I can say that word, it was compared to what you thought it would be. So, those four, even those four little verses are something you can use. Now, every man's is very much a seed-sowing ministry. In this day and age, we use the term pre-evangelism, which is probably most appropriate for our kind of ministry. You see, I say that because from the responses we get when we go out and see ADF personnel, it seems most of them are hearing a gospel for like the very first time. You've got the deer in the headlight syndrome, even when we're sharing things that are the most basic. And when you think about it, you say to someone who's never been to a church, never had anything to do with Christianity, that God became a man and lived on this world, it's like, oh, okay, really? You know, and sometimes they might roll their eyes and think, oh, this bloke's a little, been on a little bit too much... Uh, kerosene or something or you know whatever the case may be but a lot of the time I've got to say in all honesty most of the time people are genuinely thinking about what you say even though they think wow that's just a bit too much for me but they'll go away and think well you know this what is that and so it's very much pre-evangelistic ministry so in every means we are very unlikely to be able to report like a harvest of souls like say the Greg Laurie crusade or something like that so that put paid to a lot of the silly notions I had earlier on, that people would be expecting me to say, oh, how many souls I'd saved, because it doesn't work like that. There's more to it. You've got to remember, most people do have some kind of idea of Jesus. I've found that. But that, for the most part, you must remember, has been warped by an anti-Christian worldview that grows louder and louder around us every day. There's all sorts of, I'm sure you've heard them, all sorts of weird ideas about who Jesus would is and the sorts of things that Jesus would say and you know you and I as Christians know that no way Jesus would never say that that would never do this leading someone in a sinner's prayer is rare in every means but believe it or not it's not numbers that's the ultimate decider of effective evangelism so as I said leading someone to prayer the sin in the sinner's prayer is rare in every means it has happened but it's very rare but we know that opening their hearts towards the gospel for the first time in every man's is very common. We must understand in doing evangelism that many years of false concepts and viewpoints can also take many years to break down. But from the first time they've heard the gospel, then many saints along the way will, in subsequent years after us, invest in their lives. Eventually, they make, may make their decision to follow Christ when they are much older and maybe when you and I have already been in heaven for 20 years. Of course, God wants you to proclaim his message even if it seems no one is listening. And note that I say even if it seems no one is listening. I remember one time 
there was, this is one of the occasions where I shared the gospel from the, from the ground up, straight away. I was sitting in a, my erect cut up in Darwin. It was just a large room. And it was quite funny, actually, because we had couches and everything in there. And the boys didn't have anywhere to go. So they'd all come in at morning tea time and go to my little urn and make a morning tea. And then there wasn't enough room for them. So they'd sit on each other's laps in this room. It was quite a funny thing. I don't know why I didn't get a photo of it. It was quite funny to watch. And they would literally sit on, someone would sit on the other guy's lap. And they're all sitting around. Anyway, um, we're sitting chatting about nothing in particular. And one young soldier, this is when I was in the infantry battalion up there, said, what's this stuff about Jesus dying for us? And I kind of got floored because we don't get a quite a direct question like that. So I shared the gospel straight up. Bang. All about sin, all about our need for salvation. And you know what? The rest of that room, you could have, you could have heard a pin drop. I know they're all listening. So I finished the presentation. The young soldier said, yes. Then the warrant officer outside barked, come on, you lot. And they were gone. But there it is. Make the most of every little moment God gives you and proclaim the message. Sometimes, most of the time, it's, it's leading into a conversation. Sometimes God will say to you, have the courage to tell them the gospel right now. You just have to do it. And we do it. So God does want us to proclaim, even when it seems no one is listening. Every spirit-filled sharing of the gospel in a person's life has been essential in them ultimately coming to faith. This is no less important than the one saint who finally one day may lead them in the sinner's prayer. As to me thinking, how am I going to convict these soldiers to accept Jesus? Well, I had another bombshell moment one day. I reversed, I may as well have read a million times before. That verse was John 16, verse 8, where Jesus said, he's talking, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit here, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. So with that verse in mind, who is it that does the convicting? It's actually not you or me. It's the Holy Spirit. We are the heralds. We are the proclaimers. So much my fretting about having the eloquence to convince them. I began to find sharing the gospel not nearly the monster I thought it was. In fact, it has become a great joy to do so, even if they're not responding, because I know there's other things going on in their heart after I've said what I've said. So despite that, I know the seed is being sown. I know that I have the promise that the Holy Spirit himself will go on to convict them in a way no human being on this planet ever could. Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 10 these words, precious verse, I love this verse, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what about you? You know, these verses were never intended for just pastors or missionaries. These letters were addressed to the congregations as a whole, each and every one of us. Do you have those people, or even that person if you like, that just keeps turning up in your life? They're around the house quite often. You accidentally keep bumping into them on the street, in the supermarket. And you know what, it may well be someone that you might not find very attractive. Someone who you don't want to be friends with. But there they are, all the time. Can you keep on thinking it's just a coincidence? Then do you wonder what mission field God might be calling you to? What great overseas mission field, Africa or Asia or somewhere? You might be wondering where he's calling you to. 
when all along your most important mission field might be right in front of you? For example, how about those little kids sitting opposite you at home at mealtime every night? May indeed the heart of us all be to announce the message about Christ as we use all our wisdom to warn and teach everyone so that all of Christ's followers will grow and become mature. This is why we will work so hard and use the mighty power he gives us. Let me close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, today, may your spirit speak to our hearts about our mission field. And most often, Lord, it may be something a long way away or it may be something right near us. One way or another, Lord, we are called to be your ambassadors in this world. Help us, Lord, to be strong. Help us to be courageous. And help us to see this mission field as you would see it. Help us, Lord, to be your ambassadors in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you one and all.